Welcome to the Kicha Leap Podcast. My name is James Kidd. This is another of our special episodes inspired by the theme of the 2021 Kicheli Prize and indeed our entire Kicheli bicentenary, the Kicheli 200, which is writ in water. This is, of course, taken from John Keats' epitaph. Here lies one whose name was writ in water. We've approached the epitaph in many ways this year as poetry, as a material text, as a starting point for Christina Rossetti and the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood. But today's episode, in many ways, articulates all of the above, and perhaps a little bit more. Our guest is Mark Wallinger, one of Britain's, and indeed, the world's foremost artists. I hope you don't mind my saying that. <laughs> the, uni- the universe is... <laughs> um, Mark won the Turner Prize in 2007. I always tend to actually seem to re- read people's biographies as though they're questions in case I've, I've looked yes. anything up. So yeah, if yeah, it yeah. sounds as though I, if I say anything wrong, you can... You can. <laughs> <laughs> Mark won the Turner Prize in 2007 for his extraordinary State Britain, which recreated Brian Hall's protest camp on Parliament Square opposite the House of Commons and the House of Lords. He was, I think, the first artist to stage or place or put a work of art on the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square uh, with 1999's Ecce Homo, a life-size statue of Jesus Christ. But he also works in a dizzying variety of forms, painting, film, printmaking, photography, and in ways that compass the personal and political, the mythological, the natural, the national, and perhaps the international. All of these words describe the single work which inspired me to ask an approach mark in the first place which is writ in water his extraordinary and deeply moving architectural installment is that the best way to describe it yeah yeah at runnymede to commemorate the magna carta i hope mark is on the other end of our keith shelley satellite link yeah i I always sort of feel sorry for for listeners in some ways there's an extraordinary bookcase uh, behind you heaving under the weight of all sorts of of books um (laughs) You, you seem a very sort of lit- literary artist in, in many ways. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved reading. I, I suppose my A-level still outlined my main interest, which is art, English, history and geography. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, so <laughs> there, there I've continued, you know. And, um, and I suppose the literary aspect I began to take more seriously once I was at art college and we had to choose a subject for a, a a thesis and um and I, I chose Ulysses. So yeah, that that properly immersed me <laughs> in in joyous and uh, modernist writing and and changed my life really, I think. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I'm always struck by with, with Keats and obviously thinking to some extent with, with the epitaph and, and the grave in Rome was his friendships with artists and in fact the way that artists were among the first to really promote him to, to, to memorialise him. Uh, I mean, are artists and writers friends st- still here in the 21st century? Yes, yes, yes. No, I have writer friends, yes. That's, that, that, that is allowed. And I, I'm, so, I'm sort of, yeah, fundamentally quite jealous of, of, of writers because it's a, it's a much more egalitarian kind of business, really. You know, you, you can, you know, you can write something and someone can buy it for, for 10 quid. And it can reach you anywhere around the globe, you know. Whereas an artist, you 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 know, you you're still relying on various kinds of patronage and people's disposable income, and you're pitched into uh, a world somewhat other than publishing. I would say, yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that's interesting. And there's, there's that sort of, also that's that strange sense of the artworks that you produce are these single, unique artifacts. They don't get to circulate around, around bookshops. And that gives it both its, I think it's very yeah. sort of, Keats would say it's sort of its fragility, its specialness. But there's also this sort of, as you say, the hint of commerce and all sorts of things. Exactly, exactly. You know, kind of the wealthy or state funded, really. You know, that's <laughs> essentially, you know, that that's difficult. It, it means you have a kind of lumpy existence you know, in financial terms. But, but also, yeah, most people see or know your work through kind of secondary sources, really. I mean, we're, we're, we're all in that world now. Yeah, and we're all probably hungry for, well, for presents, really, but certainly as an artist or in terms of seeing artworks, you know, everything has been fed through a screen for a year now. And that's bearable, you know. (laughs) There are more important things in a sense, but I think we are hungry for for presents. It's it's a bit of a reduced existence. We talked a little bit off microphone about uh, the last year. In In terms of creativity, I can imagine lockdown... It's both a blessing but a nightmare as, as well. Yeah, it's it's well, it's difficult to know when and how things that one one is making would you know will will ever be seen or shown, you know. But to a large degree, that's how it feels much of the time, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, sort of keep calm and carry on. But uh, you know, I, I, I live in Soho, and I suppose that, that the lockdown. The kind of extremity of the difference that that made just on the everyday outside well, was extraordinary and certain things had a certain fascination that became like subject matter you know there's just a weird way that the entirety of Oxford Street was both glassy and opaque uh, yeah. <laughs> and became but then became a kind of recreation ground for people walking jogging on bicycles you know and 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 uh, there was a certain kind of perverse joy in that you know and people living in the moment, you know, we had our one allotted time for exercise, you know, and and people enjoyed that. That living in the moment thing yeah. was was essential. Yeah, it's like looking up in the sky and suddenly realizing you haven't seen a plane for sort of four, four days. Yeah, it's yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? And now it's coming back. Is it, 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 you? Do you find it mildly alarming? Or um... I, 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 yeah, I found coming out of that first lockdown quite um, uneasy. Kind of a little. <laughs> just disturbing you know i mean we'd we'd already had you know the coming saga and the the sort of vague messaging and the sense that the government really wasn't on top of this thing and and well um, well, and particularly here in soho there was the the eat out to help out which that was quite shocking suddenly so whoa hang on (laughs) you sure yeah yeah. small restaurants with uh, no open windows is uh, Yeah. yeah been said many times but it has served to just highlight divisions and um, and who's bearing the brunt of all this yeah it seems to sort of slightly crude segue rather to, to sort of move, move towards an epitaph and maybe it's the per- perfect segue i was kind of curious to read on uh the hauser is it the hauser and worth website which described you as Mike Wallinger is known for his career-long engagement with ideas of power, authority, artifice and illusion. I'm choking up as I read this. Using epic narrative, lyrical metaphors and ardent punning, the artist interleaves the mythological, the political and the everyday. To me, that's, that would be a very good description of, of John Keats. Um, what's your own relationship with with him? He obviously it was the, the written water that inspired written water, a, a Keats written water. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, he, he kind of, he stands out, out from all the other romantic poets and, and for all those reasons, and a bit bit like Joyce, he, he kind of occupies a sort of meta position, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, he talks about being an egoless poet and, and someone says about him that he can, you know, he can inhabit a billiard ball. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you can empathise with that. Well, you know, Joyce is on the same table, I think, there, yeah. you know. And I think it is that which seems incredibly modern, sophisticated, but kind of humble in a way as well, you know. And, and yeah, I find, I find his work incredibly moving as well. And he can move in and out of myth and deal with the quotidian every day in such a way that's just... I mean, you, you feel that nightingale moving away, don't you? And, and there's nothing that actually sort of really describes that. He, he just affects that. It's yeah. just... Give me goosebumps thinking about it now. I mean, it's really just, and that mention of Ruth, I just find that just extraordinary. How did how did he do that? How did he do that? You know, I mean, it's just extraordinary. And I was interested as well in what you said uh, you know, that you wrote your or writing your PhD on on, on his humour. You know, because um, there's the bit in um, Breach and Earn where he, what's it, the happy happy how'd it go? <laughs> more happy love, more happy happy love. <laughs> It, it, it's sending up kind of hallmark cards, you know, yeah. or something. The truth and beauty thing at the end, this is a very, if you haven't got the idea that this is really an unbearably, you know, ever slowly rotating, rather arid notion of art, then, yeah, yeah, then you're missing some things, you know. But there's, yeah, there's that weird thing, isn't it? If truth is beauty and beauty is truth, then, then you're sort of saying truth is truth and beauty is beauty. Yeah. And then so that, it is what it is, isn't it? That's it. Like, yeah, we're back on that, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all you need to know. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a, there is a cheeky monkey version. To, to... It's a brush off, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's a, yeah. Well, I always like the fact that it's the urn, depending on how you read, the urn sort of says it. You know, I've always had this, the comic reading of it that it starts sort of talking to him. Yes, yeah, no, quite. I mean, the other thing that, of course, appeals to me is his notion of negative capability or, or, or many of the things that he says that are roughly around that same similar orbit. And, and I think it was something that I finally learned to do actually at the beginning of that quote there's the, there's the phrase dovetailed I, I think somehow subliminally that that that's been there for me for a long time because I, I when I talk about my work to students and all the rest of it I talk about how I learned a certain kind of patience and that I might have half an idea but I would not force it I, I would wait and hope the other half came and met it at, at some point you know and and then there's that dovetail it's not a seamless join and then you enjoy the craft and the moment of that. Apart from anything else, the odes in particular are, are about what it is to be a poet, what it is to try and be inspired. So as much as he's inspiring you as a reader, he's telling you about how it's done in a way, you know. Do you know those moments when you when you have them, when something, do, do, an idea, whether it's an idea or when you actually see a, a, if you're working on something there? Do you... Yeah, sometimes I, it does come like that. I, I you know, and then there's like Joyce's notion of the epiphany, which is you know a, a, a rather similar in a way. Um, so, so those I've, I've found very sustaining, you know, as an artist through some, some lulls. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm in my passive mode now, you know, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. No, dove, no uh, dovetailing. <laughs> no dovetailing going on either. No, no. <laughs> no, it's all Ikea at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, and he, he's very disparaging about what he calls consecutive thought, isn't he? And, and um, 
yeah, I mean, obviously it is the unconscious or, or whatever, or, or it is basically being true to your own preoccupations and that, that, that these things are either latent there or something finally kind of hits you. The other thing about Keats and, and Joyce and, and other great writers and artists is, is to start with the specific and then the general might may follow. There, there are certain kind of perceptual things that I like to play with perspective and illusion and reflection and which I suppose are a bit like puns as well they kind of just uh, reveal to oneself the workings of what, what seems to be a transparent uh, common sense view of both language and, and, and perception and then you kind of Beckett said in, in the beginning was the pun I mean I think that's one of the, one of the best puns ever you know you know and it's when you come smack up against <laughs> the workings of, of things it's a bit like um I've worn, worn glasses since I'm about 15. And, and there's that moment when you're, you're in the opticians, they're doing the lenses, they're, is this one better or this one? This one or this one? You know, well, you can't phone a friend. You are so <laughs> reduced to yourself uh, as just this instrument. <laughs> I quite like those moments where uh, that, that reveal one's self-consciousness or, or self-awareness or lack of it, really, that then reveal things in a slightly different light or yeah uncover or unmask things how about sort of an image of, of perhaps the more sort of ro romantic artist that, that keats seemed to embody for us that my wife is always very um she always finds it very funny in, in movies where where painters i think it's a very good scene in in the beatles movie backbeat where stuart Sutton oh, yeah. kind of throws paint at the and there's this amazing artwork produced in about four seconds oh yeah having watched mm, some of the, mm. the videos of you working say on written water the amount of work and planning and conscious yeah. as well as creative thought that had to oh, yeah. to go into yeah. did you find that side of yeah no that that, that that cliche is extraordinary and uh, yeah no there's well, film can't really do nightclubs and things like that can it but you certainly can't do the art world i mean written water took five years that included uh, any kinds of battles with surrey council and um, and then you're down to you know the minutiae the finishing of, of every detail essentially in the end was down to to me and well studio octopi marvelous architects but that's a, that's a long haul and you, and you've got to retain your confidence in this idea through all that you know i don't know if you want to talk about that a little more so we were, we were approaching the 800th anniversary of, of magna carta and there, there was a, a competition to come up with an artwork to celebrate commemorate that, that fact you know it's very important for me as an artist and for me as a reader and a, and a viewer to feel that someone has had a real felt immediate response. It can't be arrived at through research or, um, you know, erudition or, yeah. or whatever. It, it is, again, not this consecutive thought. There has to be something. And visiting Runnymede, uh, which I've never done before, there is a bit of magic there that isn't isn't quite suburban Surrey. Mm. You know, you've got Cooper's Hill. And and the thing that kind of clinched my idea was that there's an Oxbow Lake there, which Oxbow Lakes are, are left when uh, a river's meandering gets that extreme that eventually the course of the river gets silted at a certain point and the river crosses. The river writes its own course. It's written or with, with water. And, th and this Oxbow Lake was like a fragment of, you know, because you can see it as almost like a, then that's a fragment of a text, you know, and it's a floodplain as well. So so water and the Thames and, and Windsor just being upriver and, and all those things kind of fed into thinking about that and you know i must confess magna carta i i hadn't been much 
exercise through the years about it, but I did become somewhat fascinated with it, you know, and, and it is the most extraordinary thing, you know, particularly Clause 39, which really is the beginning of the notion of the rule of law as, as fair government, and it was the first curtailment of a king's powers, and, and uh, there isn't one kind of, you know, copy. There were 40 of these things made to be distributed around the kingdom and read from the pulpit. You know, there's, there's one in Salisbury Cathedral, Canterbury Cathedral, Lincoln. There's one in Oxford, I can't, um, the library. Um, yeah, the one that bought in and, the, uh, yeah, the and it was just sort of brought out of, in the body, yeah. yeah. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> it was just brought out of a, out of a cupboard. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's thinking Latin on, on vellum. But it, but it just seemed like... You know, I'd be looking for some spare cups, or, or where did I put those, you know? And there's the Magna Carta. I don't know. So it didn't have that, ta-da, you know, moment, really. And so it did seem that uh, for something quite so momentous and that has had such an influence, you know, around the globe, really, should have something to visit, should have a, something there, and, and to kind of pay respect to that. So then the idea arrived of, of setting the text upside down and back to front, that you would read it in water. In, in a sense, it was a reflection on my own ignorance, in a way, and, and, and then the realisation of the importance of this document, the fact that we don't have a written constitution, and we take for granted all these rights that we treat as if they were birthrights. But actually, we need to learn them by heart, which, which again, kind of the Keats thing somehow pops in around at the same time as all this. Yeah, his, his epitaph and the fact that, you know, people do know his word work by heart and have it in their hearts, you know, and and to have this text that's, that's only readable in an optical illusion, I thought was quite a nice way of showing quite how fragile these things might, might be if we don't take them to heart. through talking yeah. to people about about the cemetery when Keats dies it was open countryside you could then have passed it without knowing that you perhaps were walking past but the same you had the same feeling at Runnymede yeah yeah and you know there are a couple of Lutchin kind of gatehouses there there's a Kennedy memorial there as well because you know since Magna Carta means more to Americans I think perhaps in the Fifth Amendment it's very close to the Clause thirty nine, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and they have a written constitution. And so these, so there's an eight that there's an acre there that, that is America, gifted to America. So there's a, there's that, and there is an American Bar Association uh, little memorial there. You wouldn't know it, it, it was there. And once I conceived of this text that could, you know, embrace itself in a circle, and, and then that could be like a, a well or a font or a spring or yeah and it was inspired by everything from prehistory kind of buildings to castle keeps to martello towers to, uh, yeah. to to things that are meant to guard and protect something important and you, and you you're literally putting a circle or a dot in the landscape like, like from above it, it it kind of says this is this is here you know <laughs> And, and it's built from from round earth from the area as well. So it was important that it kind of was of the landscape in, in some sense. And so you get 
next to it, and, and it's a rather blind doorway, but as soon as you walk in, you, you have the choice of walking left or right further around this building. And then there's a doorway on the opposite side to the entrance into this this pool, which has an oculus, the same circumference as the, as, as the pool. So it's, it, it is a place for contemplation. At a certain point, you can sit on the bench that's built into the wall and, and see an oak tree, which is quite nice, it's very English. <laughs> and what thrilled me was, uh, before the thing was officially open, uh, some swallows nested in there. Um, <laughs> you don't get any more keys. Well, whizzing round and round and, and picking up the, off, the, off the water, you know, yeah. You wanted people to sit and spend time there and think. To... Yeah, I mean, there's something marvellous about a, a around building there is a bit of an illusion I, I hope and feel people get that the inside feels larger than than it is in a sense it yeah. seems to fill out the outside view of it you know just thinking of ripples in water and concentric rings the impact of what happened that day in June mm-hmm. 12 you know, the, the, the ripples concentric ripples continuing further and further and further out so it really is the locus of that important document I'm ashamed to say that it's not something that I could, could, could quote. No free man shall be seized, imprisoned, dispossessed, outlawed, exiled or ruined in any way, nor in any way proceeded against except by the lawful judgment of his peers and the law of the land. And it, it does feel extraordinarily vivid and, and it is. immediate and urgent, given, you know, what's... Yeah, this? no, absolutely, you know, yeah. Yeah, and at the time I was proposing it, you know, it had been cited in a case about um, uh, detention of suspects for more than 30 days or whatever you know it's still on the statute it's still something that's kind of alive as well yeah i mean one of the ways to read the artwork is is the worry that it can be turned on itself or it can be erased or it can sort of slightly drift drift away is is it do you worry that we're sort of in danger of losing or do you feel that there's a nut yeah it is a worry i mean what happened in the states this last four years you know people's ignorance of, of, of history, it, it becomes very worrying, and people talking about the, their truth, that is worryingly corrosive, I think. Or even with the, the vaccine rollout, you know, you know, the misinformation and the, and the conspiracy theories and, and, and all that. I suppose, you know, before the social media and all the rest of it, the, there were these crazy notions about, and, it, and it's funny how they kind of which nooks and crannies they, they find purchases, you know, because since the advent of the smartphone, we, we don't hear anything about UFOs anymore, do we? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and why, why were they only ever found around Air Force bases? Well, you know, but I mean, it is, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of like there's something, there's something very human about wishing to kind of feel that you know better than, than, than other people. I had a similar um, moment with that with my, my daughter's got a, a, a map on, on our living room wall at the moment with pictures of all the things around the world that seem to represent different nations. And Scotland, I don't know whether they'll like this or not, but it, it was um, the Loch Ness Monster, which I thought was a slightly mm-hmm. weird thing to sort of represent Scotland. But, but I did think <laughs> you don't hear about the Loch Ness Monster anymore because I suppose no. everyone can just, you, you know, where, when was the last decent photograph of a... Indeed. <laughs> I think think the SMP are in enough trouble without having them. (laughs) (laughs) We we should fight for Nessie. Yeah, yeah. Bring her back.
was incredibly sobering to, to, to hear that from beginning to end it, it, a five year pr- process I suppose one of the ways to think about risk and water is, is how a, an idea man- manifests I mean Shelley talks about this fading coal but I doubt he met yeah, was thinking yeah, about yeah. a five year process involving architectural plans can you remember what it was like to have that idea and um, yeah, I, I mean, I still can, and and um, and we made a, a little maquette come artwork, which was simply a mirror with with a uh, stainless steel band. With it, that gives me some kind of sense of what it was like originally, or, or the first kind of idea. It is kind of an exhausting process, and 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 it does at times feel um, very asymmetric from. If you have an idea in a hurry, I mean the piece I made for the LSE that was unveiled a year, year, two years ago. Anyway, I mean that similarly took about five five years. Right. You know that was that was an idea I had in the middle of a conversation with my girlfriend, <laughs> talking about a bit of CCTV footage of the, the, this this big beach ball that had sat on top of Old Street Roundabout for a while and then got blown away in this storm. And so you could see the traffic suddenly trying to negotiate this enormous beach ball, you know. And then that similarly kind of went through uh, five years of, of, of various meetings, you know. So it, <laughs> the other thing about uh, Written Water was it, it's built in cubits. I thought I'd go back to a very ancient measure, you know, uh, Noah's Ark. You're in Genesis, and, and there's a very specific measurement of the Ark in cubits, you know. Uh, the layers of, of the round earth are, are in cubits, and, and the height of the inscription around the pool is one cubit, as is the height of the bench around the, around the wall. And, and that gave a certain joy, and, and the front, the, the entrance faces due north, the outer entrance and the, the inner vice versa you know so so things like that were a kind of a joy that there are 52 rafters in, in the roof so and there are 12 openings around the outside so it kind of figures time in in inside it as well so so you can you can have a certain joy joy with that and then we had we were thinking of the, the oculus the, the the rim around that didn't really quite turn out to my satisfaction and then we found some some great old photographs of some American students in in who were at the, the American school in Rome on the roof of the Pantheon <laughs> looking through the oculus of that and <laughs> and there was the sort of sense of a, a bit of a band around that thing and I said, that's that's what we need we need something about that you know yeah okay um, <laughs> you spent time in in Rome I mean it's a sort of interesting connection sorry sorry running me to to write I mean, it feels quite keatsy and for an artist it must be both kind of like overwhelming maybe it was bit... overwhelming it was it was it was an amazing experience and it kind of fueled me for the next few years actually and and you know we we had some quite nice studio spaces there and i was introduced into a very academic rather public school kind of it was a bit like going to public school for the first time <laughs> at the age of 38 or 39 you know it, it was... <laughs> I made some good friends there, really good friends. But it, it was determinedly Oxbridge, isn't it? I, I remember talking to this German woman one night over dinner and asked her where she was from. And she said, Cambridge. And I was like, ah, right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, 
I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a little ashamed to say it was the first time I've been to Rome. I've been to Florence and Venice and various other bits of Italy for you know, years. And for some reason, I don't know why Rome hadn't. Uh, and I think I had, a, I had a very odd view of Rome, which I think comes from sort of Technicolor films of the 50s and 60s. I, I always show that road past the Colosseum yeah. that, that Mussolini built. <laughs> and so I thought it was a... I thought Rome was a place of broad avenues and rather, you know, totalitarian kind of look to it. And it's it's not like that at all. It's been said so many times, but, but I mean, it's this weird city of layers, isn't it? Historically, you know, and then you've got a bit of the kind of English-British grand tour as, as well that kind of feeds in at a certain point, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember what I was reading, but once Italy was defeated, you know, getting Rome back as an international city or a city that belongs to all the you know the british school but there's all these other schools yeah. there there's a sort of generosity or there's a sort of you know we all come there to kind of be awed and 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 inspired you know i was just asking if you went to the to the cemetery itself i mean that it's such a weird experience with the huge the pyramid, pyramid and, yeah i found it i found that very well i found it very moving at the time and and it's sort of it's a little way from the centre, isn't it? I mean, you can imagine it being amongst fields and that, as you were saying earlier, you know. Yeah. Um, Protestant cemetery, sometimes the, the English cemetery. The, 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 the English abroad are the, all these consumptive writers and artists that, 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 that go on. I mean, Stevenson went to the South Sea, didn't he? You know, and you think, well, maybe we just, you know, just <laughs> don't, don't go out in the wet and stay, stay indoors. I would, you know, kind of thing, you know. Yeah, so there was a fascination with that, and then there was a kind of fascination with Shelley's to choose that bit of aerial song, you know, with the word sea change, which, yeah, it's kind of extraordinary, it turns into something rich and strange, but it is a bit like when a metaphor becomes literal or kind of or quite a strange thing. In all the sort of discussions, I've asked people what, what they've made of this extraordinary phrase, particularly the, the written water, and people have obviously very interested by the idea of invisible writing or invisible paper and yeah i was very curious with 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 yours this idea of text but also reflection i've just been reading alice in wonderland with my with probably more now um my my daughter and she's obsessed with (laughs) holding up the bits of lewis carroll that you can reflect the text and turn things but you could read that in lots of ways as both being as you say re- remind of something very beautiful but also something a bit unnerving or uh yeah not well maybe satiric i mean whose uh, name was was written in water i mean in terms of the inspiration and the name for for this piece that, that this is the law <laughs> the first law that, that, that asserts the rights of people to have trial by a jury uh, by their peers and and the importance of of, of that and and so by inference there's the you know it's written in water not written in stone you know and and writ is a law that was sealed i mean the other thing about magna carta was it was sealed so so that is uh a back to front upside down imprint into the wax so that that again was yeah. a, a notion for all that you know and and thinking about Keats and maybe you know uh, the very dark humour. You know, it was written in water rather than probably his fear was whether he remained in print. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm re- reading just recently the posthumous Keats. Oh, the Stanley uh, Stanley Plumley. He he's, thinks Keats synthesised written water, but prim- primarily from Bowman or Fletcher's Philaster. All your better deeds shall be in water writ. 
but he says was is the operative word. He feared he had failed. His body brought down by disease, his poems belittled by toy critics, but he also knew something. Trust the writing. Which I like to think <laughs> success is the best revenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had a fascination for for that when I was in Rome, and and you can see the kind of the awkwardness of what Brown and Seven came up with as their kind of you know framing way, yeah. of, and yet it is written in stone. It, so he's, it's in a sense, his name and and the phrase and what could be seen as his last poem is there, you know, uh, incredibly famously. Yeah, yeah. The, the work at Running Meeting, it's in some ways, it's going to be a a memorial to the Magna Carta, but also to, to to your own work. People will think about you. It will be yeah. there obviously for a long time, but it's going to it's going to get rained on, snowed on, and I assume that yeah. there'll be changes yeah. to the. Yeah, I was thinking of that, and I was thinking of again that through language and, and thinking, you know, so in one sense you could see the piece of running me being like a well, and you have an ink well as well, and ah. and, uh, <laughs> and you have a font. Uh, it's got like a font and then you yeah. have a font of the lettering and then you think about peaks at the end you know where there's that kind of bloodletting you know and so there's like ink and blood and he uh, reaches for water which is innocent and sustaining and that's the element that, that fundamentally brings life that's what we're doing uh, with the rover on Mars he's hoping to find traces of, of, of water you know so in a sense, all our names are written in, in water. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oops, sorry. <laughs> Is that a sense of your legacy, of posterity, of your own work? And we've yeah. obviously just lived through, or was going to, and obviously be living through life with, with COVID. Um, are these mm. thoughts ones that, that preoccupy you? Has it, and have you noticed a, ch a change over the last year? Has it been more intense? I, I think it has. Yeah, I mean, one does. You know, I'm 61 now. I'm, I'm the particularity of this year, the the time for self reflection. Um, <laughs> the you know, there's still a, a sort of ambition and hopefully an energy, but then there are certain days where you just feel like you're you're just managing yourself through the day, kind of thing. You know, those two contrasting aspects, <laughs> the the aspirant thing that's still kind of there, and then they're just like, well, I can. <laughs> You know, I became an artist because I grew up loving art, you know, and I was completely passionate about it. And and I suppose because of that, I, I, it would be nice if one or two things lasted beyond me. Yeah, yeah, because that's that's how we uh, become a worthwhile culture, really, isn't it? Yeah. Do you have an idea for for an, for an epitaph? <laughs> I've been sort of seem to spend most of the last year thinking, of, reading about epitaphs, thinking about them, and they're sort of extraordinary ones, but. Is that the sort of thing that no, bothers you? Not, <laughs> no. I don't know if people still do them. I mean, is it... Uh... We were quite disappointed a couple of years ago to find that Spike Milligan's epitaph isn't I told you I, I was ill. But, um... is, it, is it... Because there's the version in, in Gaelic. Is, is that right? That... Oh, well, I hope I hope it's there. Maybe it was there in Gaelic. I just took it to I'm, the... Um... I like that one too. So I've taken it on trust. That's yeah. what it... Is your art in a way, would that be the kind of... Is that... Is, is, is that I think own? that would be it, really. I don't, yeah. Um, I know you've worked with schools. We've got this past the prize, which is is about encouraging young younger writers to try and write and and hopefully to find art and writing as a way to this particularly this year to to get their way through 
you know, adversity. I think young people have had a very, particularly teenagers, I think it must have been yeah, very, yeah, yeah. very, very difficult. Yeah. If you were giving advice to, to any young person out there ho hoping to start some kind of creative, is there any kind of advice that you, he says, putting you on the spot um, right now? Yeah, I think you have to be quite um, determined and stubborn and you've got to have a real love. I, th I think it is a bit of a vocation or a calling in, in, in a way because... Especially when, I mean, when I, you know, I came out of art college uh, beginning of the 80s and we, we were giving a course at the end of it entitled Is the Life After Art School? And, and the short answer would be no, you know, and it, it showed you how to sign on. <laughs> and it, there were a couple of valuable things there, one, one of which was try not to get tied into a, a full-time job. You just have to kind of keep the practice going by whatever means you can there were so many friends of mine at college who you know would take them to jobs and think well i'll do that for a couple of years and save up and then yeah that's that's the end and i think in a way back then in the 80s the, the housing and all that wasn't so expensive and mm. various other things were kind of easier that you could just about you know scrape along bits of teaching i worked in a bookshop for years and things like mm. like that you know that enabled you enough time to get enough yeah, meaningful time in 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 the studio. It 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 has its ups ups and downs, but uh, that creative hit, that that moment, that dovetailing, that mm. epiphany of that that you know when something strikes one, you know, and it goes from being my you know, like my idea to simply a good idea. That is a marvelous feeling. Yeah, worth pursuing that. I think. Yeah, worth all the yeah. meetings. The... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The buffering, yes. the podcast. The buffering, I guess, yeah. No, those. I really want to say enormous thanks for fighting the buffering. Fight the buffering. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this Keith Shelley podcast for the Keith Shelley and Young Romantics Writing Prizes. For more news about this year's prize, please visit our website, keatshelley.org forward slash prizes, or follow us on Twitter at Keatshelley. To support the museum by becoming a friend or making a donation, stay at keatshelley.org and click support us. This episode was written and presented by James Kidd. The music is Androids Always Escape by Chris Zabriskie. Visit chriszabriskie.com. I'm walking you back to the thing, just in case of... Obviously, wrote loads of notes and that. I'm just wondering if yeah. I had any kind of nuggets I could. Yeah, do because we can sort of edit slide it. So, so I, I just literally walked the city every day. So that's what I did for three months, you know, and it was it was marvelous. But I, the only artwork I came up with was um, a limerick. Going back to fascination with, well, perspective for one, and I wanted to write something about Masaccio's Holy Trinity, which is is in Florence, but um, but is like the the first really extraordinarily sophisticated perspectival devotional artwork. But in the end, I wrote a limerick called Masaccio, <laughs> meeting parallel lines at infinity or the vanishing point of the Trinity. From the apex or base, we might see our own face staring back as the ghost of divinity. <laughs> that's a that's a rib tickler. <laughs>
but more dove, more dovetailing. It's, it's like it's like we. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like we wrote this all in advance. There you go. We didn't talk about actually. After all that, we didn't talk about Byron and the Dardanelles and um, cinema, which was uh... okay. It's a big project called My City. It, it was a British Council and Turkish funded thing. I think it was a, a, a soft diplomacy about Turkey and the and the EU. So we're, we're talking ten years or so ago. But anyway, so different European artists were assigned different cities in in Turkey. Mine was Çanakkale, which is absolutely overdetermined by a history of myth. You know, you've got Xerxes, Alexander the Great, Hero and Leander, Byron swimming the Hellespont, and that's kind of, that, that's where the, the, the city is, at, at that narrowest point. You've got Gallipoli opposite, and you've got Troy just down down the road, you know. So it was like, it was too <laughs> too rich. And, and what I was saying earlier, it has to be something uh, felt or witnessed or noticed. The most extraordinary thing, and the city, this wonderful kind of mainly fishing town as a university but just sort of carries on its business whilst there's this endless succession of the largest container ships you, you've ever seen <laughs> it's kind of absolutely like massive kind of buildings really going through on their way through the sea of marmara to istanbul and the black sea and that and and i think i read somewhere that you know half the world's trade ever passed through there and so i wanted something to pay heed to that I came up with a cinema amnesia, which was supposed to look a bit like you walk into it and you think, oh, right, this is some kind of camera obscura. And so you walk in and you see a projected view of what would, you're looking along across the straits of Gallipoli, you know, when in fact it's exactly 24 hours earlier oh, being, being replayed, you know. <laughs> and so I called it Ulysses, you know, because he had some something to do with, <laughs> with Troy and, and the horse and and uh and and an hour is that is, is the smallest kind of unit of the smallest circle we can describe to compare ourselves with ourselves before kind of thing and and rather magically all through the, the making of this thing there'd been the, the, the ugliest squared off homemade uh, little rowing boat that, that was moored just in front of where this thing faced across the opening was due to be 11 o'clock the following day and I was there just before 11 and this man came along and he got into into the, the boat and he rowed out and he didn't he didn't row left or right he he rowed so I knew that the camera would, would catch him gradually receding <laughs> which would then be there for all the dignitaries the following day I was oh. like, wow this is serendipitous to, to what a degree yeah yeah <laughs> that's what you want just endless receding and uh yeah yeah <laughs> thank you mark thanks james thanks for um lovely to talk to you yeah. i really i really enjoyed it yeah and me yeah. all right nice one take right. care I hope to see you in real life see yeah. yeah yeah <laughs>